0: Welcome to The Very Well Mind Podcast. I'm Mina B, and I'm a licensed social worker, mental health educator, and author of Owning Our Struggles. I'll be chatting with experts, wellness advocates, and others about the power of community care in improving your mental health. We'll delve into topics such as friendships, managing difficult relationships, and most importantly, how to cultivate belonging and support in our lives. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Dr. Joy Harden Bradford is a licensed psychologist. She's also a speaker and the founder and CEO of Therapy for Black Girls and host of its wildly popular mental health podcast, which received a Webby Award in 2023. She's also the author of Sisterhood Heals, the transformative power of healing in community. Her work focuses on making mental health topics more relevant and accessible for Black women and she specializes in creating spaces for them to have fuller and healthier relationships with themselves and others. Hi, Dr. Joy. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you so much, Mina. It's great to see you again. You too. You know, I've been following your work for a really long time, and we had the opportunity to meet in person a few years ago, which was really exciting. And I have always been a big fan, especially because of the work you do for Therapy for Black Girls. So can you walk us through your journey and just what brought you to the work that you do? Ooh, that feels like such a big
1: question, Mina. <laughs> My background is in college student mental health. And so I kind of feel like the work that I do with Therapy for Black Girls feels like an extension in a lot of ways from that work. My favorite part of working with college students was always outreach. So kind of going to the students where they were in their residence halls or sorority meetings or, you know, in their sports teams. I mean, talking about different kinds of mental health topics. And so I kind of feel like that is what I do for the podcast now. But, you know, just to take people back a little bit, like I said, my background is in college student mental health. So I've been on the campuses of the University of Georgia, Virginia Commonwealth University, and most recently Clark Atlanta University. And I left that job Because therapy for black girls kind of took off. So I was blogging on the therapy for black girls website and then started like doing all these interviews about mental health and especially as it relates to black women and added the therapist directory in 2016, which really then kind of exploded because I think there were lots of people who were looking to connect with black women therapists across the country. I think that is when we first started to kind of hear a little bit more about mental health in the media and like, you know, celebrities kind of sharing their mental health journey. And so it feels like it was a really good time for people to kind of connect with therapists in their areas. And then I added the podcast in 2017, which again, kind of just ran away. And and I think really was just something that people really needed and really kind of wanted to hear more conversations about mental health. And so the business has really just grown during that time. And I'm sure we'll get into, you know, I just released my book, my first book, Sisterhood Heals this year. And so it really feels like all of those things kind of just have successively built on one another. And a lot of the opportunities I've had are because of people in the community. So somebody will listen to the podcast and say, oh, we want to bring her to speak in our job or come do a book club for our organization. And so I think it's really cool that not only am I able to have really important conversations about mental health, but I also then get to meet people in real life and, you know, hear how the work has impacted them, which I think is really important.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's always like a special feeling to see that there's a gap that's being filled and you're playing a role in filling that. And I do know we know like the psychology workforce is predominantly white. So I understand the need for this directory, right? So that people of color or in particular, Black women can now be linked with Black women therapists. Is there anything else that you noticed there was a gap when it comes to focusing primarily on Black mental health that you realize like, this is so important, but it's not being talked about enough or we just don't have the resources or the people. Well, we actually do have the people, but for many different reasons, they don't have the platform or the ability to reach individuals who are in need. So is there any particular areas that you realize like, wow, I'm really reaching people from this work as well?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that there's still so much work to be, done in terms of decreasing the stigma related to mental health, right? You know, so I think we've come a very long way, but I think that there's still so much work to be done because I think as Black women, so many of us have been socialized to kind of keep this in the closet, right? Or this is something that we don't talk about in public or without even having the understanding that Mental health is something we all have that we have to take care of. Right. So I think for a long time, so much of the conversation around mental health only focused on a disease model. Right. And like this is what you do, like if you are depressed or if you're having an anxiety attack or whatever, as opposed to expanding that conversation about all the things we can do to actually be well and actually, you know, have good mental health, so to speak. And so I think the work that I do and the work that you do and the work that so many of us, I think, do really helps to kind of chip away at that stigma and make it okay for people to say like, oh, I didn't even realize I was struggling with this, or I didn't realize this was something that I could talk with a therapist about.
0: Mm. You know, I love that you bring up that stigma because I think we're in a climate now where people are More vocal about their mental health challenges, and they're really trying to fight back against stigma. And a core piece that I find that people are saying makes them feel comfortable is just having community. And having people who they can look up to, who they're like, this person is struggling too, or this person was vocal about this issue. And you mentioned your book, right? Sisterhood Heals. And I would love to know what inspired you to write this book and in what ways has this book helped people shape their own perceptions of stigma as well?
1: Mm -hmm. So Sisterhood Heals actually was supposed to be an in-person event. And then we had a pandemic. (laughs) Oh, that pandemic, right? (laughs) right. Pesky little thing. But yeah, so, you know, the Therapy for Black Girls community has for years been asking for an in-person event because they kind of see each other virtually like in our Zoom sessions or they're like interacting with each other in the comment section on Instagram. And they're like, we want to come together. Like we want to see these people that we've kind of like virtually gotten to know. And so we were planning to do that in 2020. And so the event was going to be called Sisterhood Heals. Then, of course, it had to be canceled. Canceled, right, because you know, we couldn't gather in person, and so after that event was canceled, I was talking to my literary agent about what the weekend was supposed to be. So she and I have been kind of working together because she found me because of the work of Therapy for Black Girls and and said, you know, I think you have a book in you, but I didn't know what the book was going to be. And I was like, yeah, probably at some point I'm going to write a book, but I don't know what I want to write about. And so after the event was canceled, she asked me, well, what were you planning to talk about that weekend? Like, what kinds of things did you want to do? And that became the outline for the book. So the event and what eventually became the book was really focused on like, bringing together all of these things that we do in virtual spaces and making it tangible for people and really kind of looking at the ways that Black women have supported one another throughout history, right? Like, I feel like that is a lifeline for us and a real protective factor in terms of mental health. We know community and relationships are key. And so it really was going to be an opportunity for people to gather with one another and hopefully leave with stronger relationships than they came in with. And so then it turned into the book outline, and I really wanted to give Black women a language for this thing that I feel like we do so naturally, mm-hmm. right? Like this this knowing glance that we share, even with a stranger like you cross paths with in the airport, or even, you know, just the ways that I have seen, especially throughout the pandemic, Black women rally around one another when so many systems that we thought would be helpful To us when everything fell apart, really were not there. And so we found ourselves yet again having to build this with and for one another. And so the book really is a celebration of who Black women have been to one another for years, as well as a call to action for us to kind of go a little deeper with that, right? So, yes, we do a great job at this, but how can we lean even more into that? I think as we continue to rebuild our lives post pandemic, if we can call it that, it will really require a reliance on one another really taking care of each other.
0: Mm. I know there are people who are probably listening who are like, I really want community. I really want sisterhood. And as you know, we are three years into the loneliness epidemic. And so when you craft the concept of sisterhood, can you walk us through what that actually looks like? And how do people embark on a journey of actually building sisterhood and community with other people?
1: hmm So I think we do it in small ways all the time, right? So when you see another woman who's like struggling to keep her toddler together in the airport or in the grocery store, right? And you go over and like offer the baby like a pack of fruit snacks or something like that. Or when you see somebody dressed in a beautiful outfit and you're like, okay, sis, I see you, right? Like all of these little things, I think they feel small, but in a lot of ways, I think that they lay the foundation for something that could become bigger. And so what I have been encouraging people to do is to look around in the background of your life for somebody who could become a significant person to you with a little bit of effort, right? So is there a fellow mom that you see in the carpool line when you drop off your kid in the morning or somebody who sits next to you in yoga class and you share glances, but you have not ever taken the time to actually talk, right? Could you take the step to say like, do you want to grab a smoothie after class? Or hey, do you want to grab breakfast after you drop the kids off, right? Like all of those little things. And I think it's hard because nobody wants to be rejected, right? And so it does require you to put yourself out there. So I think taking the step to kind of be bold, to be brave and say, hey, do you want to take this opportunity to maybe get to know me a little better? I'd like to get to know you. But I think also for us who, you know, if you already have a circle being on the lookout for people who could become a part of your circle as well right so we know so many people are struggling with loneliness so can we take the opportunity to look around for people who may need a friend right can we offer like hey do you want to grab lunch or hey can i help you with this thing and so i think when we think about community we're thinking about like some of those closer kind of like okay this is my support circle like these are my ride or die people but also your extended sense of community like can you help your neighbor can you help a fellow you know person In your job, those kinds of things in acts of service, I think, are also really helpful in building community.
0: I really love how you define acts of service because it helps us understand that that is really so simple. What does it look like to just go up to the person in the airport and say, like, I can help you with your kid if you need support right now? Or what does it look like to go up to someone in the park, right, if you want to make mommy friends or just different areas and communities that you exist in? And what does it look like to engage in service to really support the people around you? I wonder if there are some barriers, and in particular, I'm thinking mental barriers that you see come up for people, in particular women or even Black women, that you think interferes with our ability to engage in sisterhood?
1: Ooh, this is is a great question, Mina. So I think a couple of things. So as we were talking, and we've already been talking so much about the pandemic and how things, you know, have really kind of changed, shifted there. I think we have to kind of retrain ourselves to kind of re-engage with one another because for years we were kind of forced to see each other as like dangerous, right? Like, so there's like, oh, keep your distance and, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, so I think there's still some awkwardness and kind of getting ourselves back comfortable, re-engaging with people in person. And so I think that that is one barrier. But I also think a lot of people struggle with social anxiety and anxiety in general, right? So just this idea of, am I going to look weird if I go up to this person and say, like, hey, do you want to grab a smoothie? Or, you know, it's interesting because I asked my community. If you saw a group of sisters out having a great time at brunch, would you feel comfortable like going up to them if you were dining alone saying like can I join you or would it be weird for you if you were a part of the group for somebody to come up to you and say can I join you? And a lot of them said like no, which was kind of shocking because I feel like a lot of people would think that that would be weird. But I think it is really just us taking those opportunities to kind of stretch outside of our comfort zone. And so you might get a no, but you also could get a yes, right? But you don't know that unless you take that opportunity. But I don't want to at all make light of, you know, what anxiety feels, right? Like it definitely feels very difficult to go up to a stranger and say something. And so, you know, working with the therapist or doing some of your own work to kind of work through the anxiety hierarchy, so to speak, right? So if going up to a stranger feels like the worst thing that could happen, what's the smallest thing that you could do that could get you a little bit closer, right? So that might mean going up to somebody who you know, kind of, sort of, but don't really know, so that you're kind of approaching the thing that feels like it would be the scariest for you. But I also think there have been so many bad, awful things that have happened to Black women that rightfully, we're a little hesitant Because we don't know you, we don't know your intentions, right? And so I think for a lot of us, and and a lot of us also have been socialized to kind of view other women as competition or as people we need to kind of stay away from. And so I think it is really about kind of reorienting ourselves and making sure that we are approaching new people with a spirit of curiosity and trusting as much as possible, right? Because we are still strangers, but trusting as much as possible that you can put yourself out there and have a good experience without somebody turning on you you are using something against you. But I think it takes a little bit of work. Yeah,
0: I love that you share that too. I am someone who loves to take myself out to eat, especially if I'm traveling for work, I'm by myself. So I'm not just going to sit in the hotel, (laughs) right, right? And order room service. I'm often forced to go out to restaurants and sometimes I'll sit at a table or I'll sit at a bar. And I've made so many amazing connections and some of them turned into friendships and some of them didn't but it was just so nice to have someone to talk to and learn Mm -hmm. more about the city that I'm in. So I'm really happy that you even shared those tips because I think it's easy to get in our head and create this narrative that people are judging me or they're looking at me. I mean, again, not to minimize the heaviness of social anxiety. But I really love that you're speaking to what it looks like to reframe the way we think. And even saying that some people you've spoken to have said, no, I don't think that's crazy at all. or I don't think it's weird or awkward if someone says, hey, want to chat with me at the bar or something like that. And I'm also thinking about what are different ways you think in our everyday lives we can learn to be more integrated in community. Because I do think sometimes people feel that in order to connect with others, it has to be gift-giving and it has to be this glamorous thing And I love that even when you said that small act of service, what that could look like. But are there other ways that people can right now say, you know what, this weekend I'm free and this is how I'm going to go out into my community to try to build sisterhood with people?
1: Hmm. I love that. And I do think we can start small. You know, I'm a mom and most of my weekends are spent at the soccer field or the basketball field. Right. And so I'm thinking in a situation like that, like, could you bring breakfast for the other parents? And you don't have to bring, you know, like muffins and everything <laughs> for everybody. But like, could you bring granola bars? Right. To your point, like it doesn't have to be gift giving. But could you offer something that feels like an invitation to like get to know you more or like just an expression of gratitude or bringing like coffee for somebody? But I also think like just asking questions, like, you know, how often do we ask someone like, how are you? And then we don't actually take the opportunity because we don't really want to know, right? Like it has become this, you know, social kind of courtesy, but, you know, can you actually take the opportunity to listen or if they mention something in passing for you to follow up and say, oh, I know you were going to your daughter's wedding last week and like, how was that, right? So even just like expressing curiosity, people love to talk about themselves. And so if you can follow up on some, you know, loose thread that they may have mentioned, I think that that's also an excellent invitation into community. And I love, Mina that you said that you've had these experiences of going to new cities and like meeting people because they dine with you or whatever. And some of them have been friendships and others have just been a great way to learn about the city. And I think that that is really key because I think a lot of times we go into these things with unrealistic expectations, right? So, okay, if I finally put myself out here and ask this fellow mom to breakfast, like she needs to be my new BFF. (laughs) Let's let's slow down. She could become somebody who's a close friend, but it also could just be like a cool other person to share breakfast with. And so I do want to caution people to kind of keep your expectations realistic, that it could turn out to be something that becomes more significant or it could just be a lovely dinner.
0: Mm, I love that you share that because I always told people everyone you meet is not your friend. <laughs> Right, like you know, and how can we have that healthy, realistic expectation in a society though that doesn't really provide language around friendship, a society that doesn't provide language around sisterhood? So, in the context of now growing with people to maintain these connections that we're striving to build, what are some fundamental things you see are key to sustaining
1: sisterhood
0: and helping to nourish healthy connections?
1: Oh, I feel like this is my favorite question, Mina, because I think that the thing that probably is most critical in maintaining and sustaining a friendship is your ability to have difficult conversations. And so I think, you know, the intimacy that really comes with a deep close relationship, a lot of times that happens because you've navigated something difficult together. And so I think being able to have tough conversations about things like jealousy Things like one person in the circle kind of getting engaged or married before the other people, if that is a goal for other people. And another area where I see this becomes really difficult is when somebody gets pregnant or brings a baby into the family. Those tend to be the areas where I see like sisterhood and women's friendships really have a breakdown because I don't think we've had language for how to talk about I'm happy for you, but also sad for me, right? And I know as fellow therapists, you know, we talk a lot about being able to hold space for two things to be true at the same time. And I think more people are catching on to that, but that isn't something that I was taught like in high school or college, right? Only becoming a professional did I even understand that. And so I think it is really important for people to understand that you can be really happy that something great is happening in a girlfriend's life, but also be really sad that this thing has not happened for you. Or... Also, really sad for how this is going to change the relationship that you all have with one another, right? Because there is a difference between like you and your girl being single girls in the city and like being able to run around and do brunch and all these things versus like when you become a mom and that is not as easy anymore, right? And so I think being able to put those things on the table and say, you know, I'm so happy for you, but I'm also really sad and a little anxious about what this means for us. How is our dynamic? going to change with this new status for you in life. And I think so many of us are quick to just jump to like, okay, I got to cut them off or they are never a good friend or, you know, like all of these things, as opposed to, can we have an honest conversation and hold space for the grief, the anger, the anxiety, whatever it is that is coming up, and then work through that together so that we are stronger on the other side of it. We'll be right back after this break.
0: Welcome back to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mina B. I really love how you just broke that down because it's making me think about envy and jealousy Mm. and how we've been taught that there is no room for envy and jealousy in a friendship. And I love that you're reframing it as two things can be true. I can love you and care for you while also recognizing my own grief and seeing that maybe you have something that I really wish I had or you're engaging in a new season in life that is going to alter our friendship and our connection. And I'm really sad about that. And I know you just gave so many tips, but can you help us learn to make space for envy (laughs) in our friendships without people just saying like, well, if a friend is jealous of you or if a friend is envious of you, how do we really cultivate space for that and also be the person to say, I feel this way about your circumstance, but I'm thinking about the person on the other end who has to sit through the feeling of knowing that, wow, my friend just told me They wish they had what I had or they're feeling jealous or they're feeling this thing. How do I now manage the discomfort around that and provide them with support and care while also caring for myself without feeling like this is dangerous and now I have to cut you out of my life completely?
1: Mhm so this is what i call the more prickly parts of humanity right so everything is all good when like everything is sunshine and rainbows right like when we are in a big love fest but we forget that we are multifaceted right and so maybe even most of the times we are joy and love and all these things but there are also these pieces of us that may be a little more difficult to manage. I and mean, so one thing, you know, if you are the person in the the circle or the friendship that is feeling jealous, it's important for you to understand that jealousy is an emotion just like anything else. Right. And so just like we can create and hold space for joy and happiness, we can also hold space for jealousy. Because jealousy is really just calling your attention to some unmet need that you have, right? Most often it is not malicious, though, you know, we know it, it can turn to that, but usually it's just a faint whisper saying like, Ooh, ouch, that kind of hurts. Like it hurts me that they have this thing and I also really want this. And so it really is just calling your attention to some unmet need that you have that you do need to take care of tending to. Now, I think that this is the key because you can't just recognize it as an unmet need and then put it on this other person. You then have to take care of tending to that wound for yourself, right? So that might mean talking with a therapist. That might mean talking to another friend or somebody else who can help to support you around this unmet need and like what you need to actually take care of yourself in it. I think something else that's important when you're having this kind of conversation is your timing, right? So even if you recognize these pangs of jealousy the night that your girlfriend announces her engagement, that is not the time to have this conversation <laughs> with her, right? So even while we recognize that we need to have the conversation, I do think we we need to pay attention to like when might be a more appropriate time, you know, so probably not the night she is getting engaged, not at her wedding dress fitting, right? But some other random Sunday brunch when it's just the two of you I think could be a great time to say, you know, I've recognized this thing has come up for me and I want to talk with you about it. And I think as the person, like as the bride or as the person who maybe the other person is jealous of, I think it's important for you to try to not be defensive. And I think that's hard, right? Because I think our immediate reaction is to bristle and like, oh, this person doesn't mean me well, right? But what you know of this person you know, I think that's where history comes into it. Like, what do you know about this person that would indicate that this is not actually a malicious act, but that this is just them trying to express what I'm sure was really difficult for them to come to me and say, right? And in the moment, you might not be able to get there, but I hope that you hear our conversation or, you know, you sit with this a little while and eventually you get to a place where you realize that this was just them coming to you to try to create a space for honest conversation as opposed to an attempt to kind of take the shine away from your day or whatever.
0: I like how you frame that of like really allowing us as individuals to hold space for other people, but also taking some time to reflect and hold space for our own emotions. Because it can be really hard to hear that a friend is feeling a particular way toward your own joy or toward your success or an achievement or a milestone. But instead of getting defensive, it's like, how can I sit in this space and just honor that this is where this person is? And it must've been so hard for them to share that with me. They didn't have to. And so instead of seeing them as all bad because this feels bad, how can I now really look at the wholeness of who they are and just say like, you know, This person has been really good to me. And the fact that they're even sharing this with me shows me that they really have my best interest. And so how can I really sit with that? And I love the way you're breaking that down. And I think this kind of leads us to the work of self-care or self-nourishment and what it really takes to look inward and be nurturing yourself from the inside so that you can pour out to others. And so in the context of sisterhood, I think this culture of burnout is leaving people so emotionally and physically exhausted that some people are also struggling with like, now, how do I show up in sisterhood? How do I even show up in friendship when I feel like I'm struggling to show up for myself. <laughs> Ooh. And so how do we engage in harmony where we learn to care for ourselves and even prioritize ourselves where sometimes it might look like, do I need to set a boundary with a friend? Like, what does it look like for us to prioritize our well-being while also caring for the well-being of the people we want to be in community with?
1: Ooh, th- this is such an important question. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us are here. Yes. Right. I think, you know, a lot of people are tapped out, fried. I mean, we are just kind of burnt to a crisp in a lot of ways. And so it is impossible, honestly, for you to show up in any kind of healthy way for other people when you are really just kind of hanging on by a string. But I think that this is where your community really comes in, because I think we have to be careful to not even expect that of other people when we see that they're struggling. Right. And so I think a part of having an active community and one where we really are paying attention to one another is that you already know that about her, right? Like you already know that she probably doesn't have very much to give right now, or I probably should not ask her to volunteer for this thing because she's already pretty tapped out. But I also think, you know, something you said earlier around like how can we even cultivate community without it always being about like giving and, you know, doing for other people. I think we have to be careful because I think a lot of us have been socialized or have been raised to believe that our only function in any kind of circle is to be of service to other people, right? Because we're worried that if we are not giving, if we are not the one who's always there, is there really a place for me in this circle? And so if that is the dynamic that has been created in your community, then I think it's important for everybody to take a step back to see how did we get there and like how do we back ourselves out of it? Because there is far more value to all of us than just what we do and what we give to other people. Our value comes from us just being human. It is just inherent in who we are. And so I think being careful and watching each other so that we can say, hey, sis, it feels like you're really close to your breaking point. Like, what do we need to do to get you to take a step back and really kind of focus on yourself and understanding that we are giving from the overflow as opposed to, you know, what is actually in our cup? But I think that that's really hard because I think Black women have been groomed to kind of just be givers and martyrs and kind of taking care of other people besides ourselves. And I think we have to really challenge this narrative that self-care is selfish right? Like that, you know, me taking care of my needs and doing what I need to do for myself means that I don't want to be in community with other people. I don't think that that's the case.
0: Mm. Speaking of that wound of codependency and counterdependency, this feeling that we are only valued and loved in our doing, I imagine that there are particular wounds that people carry, in particular women, that does impact the way they show up in their relationships and their worth. And so are there any wounds that you can point to that you also see come up that really impacts how people
1: feel safe in building sisterhood with others? I think one of the wounds is in asking for help. So, this idea that, like, I have to do it all, that if I seem needy in any kind of way, then that means I'm broken or like I'm unworthy in some way, or that. Other people won't do it like I'm going to do it. And so I might as well do it all myself. Oh my
0: <laughs> right? I'm guilty, y'all. You are talking to me right now. I'm just... Likewise, I'm talking to myself also,
1: <laughs> right? But I think so much of that comes from this idea that like we can't rely on other people. It has to be us kind of really challenging ourselves to push past that and to realize even if somebody would not do this thing the way that you would have done it, Does it not mean that they can also still help you? And one of the ways that I think can be really helpful to kind of get at this is to like actually write down on paper, like all the things that you're doing. So whether that be like, you know, okay, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., like what does your day look like? And I think when people see stuff on paper, they realize like, wow, this is a lot. And so it becomes a little easier to kind of fraction some of that off or, you know, like hand some of these things over to other people when you put it on paper and see there's a lot going on for a lot of us. And so it really is more beneficial for us to be able to ask for help or to even let people help us. Because sometimes it's not even about the asking. There are people in our lives who are readily available and wanting to help us, and we're just not even letting them help us. So I think it's about asking for help, but also receiving the help when people offer it.
0: Mm. I also want to talk about sisterhood in the literal sense, because we have the communities that we build, but then the first community that we are born into is our family. And so in the context of sisterhood and just how we relate to our family dynamic, how can
1: we even bring this into the family system? So I think one of the ways to do that is to think about what have you been taught about other women in your mm-hmm. family, right? And so I grew up in a very woman-centric family. My mom has six sisters. I have probably 20 first cousins that are girls. So I feel like I grew up around a lot of women. And I think something that's been interesting to think about is like what we were all taught about relationships with other women and what I observed of my mom with her sisters and my mom with her cousins and, you know, like all of that. And I think if you do some of that, that I think is a great place to start with family to think about like, how do we treat and relate with one another? And how does that impact the way that we are with each other, but also the ways that we are with women outside of our immediate family? Because I think a lot of us, like I said, have been socialized to really see other people or other women specifically as competition, or like you can't trust other women because they're always after your partner, like all of these things. And it's impossible if you've gotten that kind of messaging to not have some of it seep in, right? And so I think Thinking about, you know, what does this look like in our family and how do we need to challenge that could be a great place to start. Mm. Do you feel like we can do this work with, I'm, I'm thinking of like sibling
0: dynamics and literal sisters who I hear stories of like my sister was cruel to me or we struggled with sibling rivalry or even sibling abuse. And so if my own sister treats me this way, like how can I trust healthy relationships with strangers and trying to build sisterhood with them. And so how can people start to heal those origin wounds, especially if as adults, they still struggle with having safe sisterly relationships with the people they share blood with?
1: Mm -hmm. So I think that if there are any parents listening who realize that they cultivated some of this with their children, it's important to go back and say, I'm sorry. Mm. Right. So I do understand that, you know, a lot of us only do what we knew. Right. And so we have, you know, maybe not intentionally created wounds for our children, but we know that that shows up in adulthood. And I think in a lot of ways that does start with like how you treat your children. Right. And so, you know, is there a favorite or was there a perceived favorite? And do you recognize that there are some things that you need to apologize for? for how you treated or groomed your children. A lot of people may think like, oh, I'm an adult. Like, why would I need to hear that? But I think when you are an adult and you hear an apology from a parent, it does way more than I think you ever would have imagined because immediately this little person brain kind of kicks in and you realize like, I was waiting for that. All along, So that's the first thing I would offer is that if there is a parent listening who realizes that they may be unintentionally created some kind of dynamic that has left their child wounded to go back and apologize. Um, but I think if you are the child who has this, you know, tenuous relationship with a sibling to realize that it wasn't your fault. That a lot of it likely was created by adults in your life who should have known better, but they didn't. And, you know, what kinds of things can you do to trust that you are safe in relationships today? So I think that that may mean extending yourself to other relationships because, you know, a lot of the research talks about even if you haven't had like great caretaking relationships, you can have reparative relationships in friendships, in romantic relationships, in lots of different ways. And so can you trust that even though this sibling relationship didn't work out, that there are other women in this world who will love you? I mean, there are probably already people in your life who do love you. Can you let them love you a little more, right? Are there ways to connect even deeper with these people because you now recognize like, wow, this thing that I had with a sibling has impacted my relationships with other people and it probably doesn't have to be that way. Also, sibling relationships in difficulty there, I think, lend themselves great to group therapy because I think groups, of course, naturally kind of mimic like our family dynamic. right? And so group therapy, I think, can be an excellent way for somebody who's had a difficult sibling relationship or something to get some care and to get some insight in ways that I think are difficult to get in individual therapy.
0: Mm, I'm so happy that you mentioned group therapy because I'm a huge advocate for it. I used to work in a group therapy setting and it's just a beautiful place where you get the care and the nurture you need, but you also build the skills to be assertive and learn to manage disagreements and conflicts because you literally have all these strangers with their own stuff coming together, trying to heal together, but When people come together, there's going to be something, right? Right. And there's going to be something that we all have to work through as a community. And that is such a beautiful space to be able to do that. And it gives you the skills to now take it out of the therapeutic room and do it with the people you want to build relationships with. And so I really love all of the tips you've been sharing. And so I just want to know, in the context of Sisterhood Heals, what do you want people to take away from this book?
1: So much. So first, it is a book best read in community. So it's the kind of book that you're like, oh, do you see what she said on page 45? Like, let's talk about it. (laughs) So I really love that people send me like pictures of them, like reading it with their girls and, you know, kind of having brunches with the book because it is that kind of book that, you know, you read and like you talk about like what this means for our friendship dynamic. But I also want people to kind of lean not into just, like I said, the relationships that feel intimate, right? Like your immediate girlfriend circle, but as a global sisterhood. It, how can we do a better job of taking care of Black women across the world? So that may mean kind of going to a stranger's rescue or sharing a positive comment on an Instagram post or whatever it is, because I think that there is just so much in this world, frankly, that is just awful and tragic. And I think if we can be little likes for one another, we can spread a little bit more goodness to try to counteract all the awful things that are happening.
0: I love that. Now, my next question, I don't know if you are able to answer it, but I have been seeing you share your book tours and things you've been doing in person. So are we going to finally get a Sisterhood heels event? (laughs) Because I'm asking for myself. (laughs) I would like to be there. So let me know when the registration goes live.
1: (laughs) But you know, are we getting one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I, you know, I've been sharing this story because nobody knew this story before the book came out, right? So people are like, oh, but we still want that event. <laughs> we do. So, yes, I do plan to still have a Sisterhood Heels event. I don't know if it will look like what I initially thought, though, because initially I was thinking of it more like conference size. And now I'm kind of feeling like I want it to be smaller, more intimate retreat kind of style for people to actually connect with one another and maybe even leave with, you know, people who become sisters to them. So definitely in 2024, you will be seeing more in-person events.
0: Wonderful. Thank (laughs) you so much. I can't wait to buy my ticket. (laughs) Dr. Joy, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. This is a question I ask
1: all of my guests
0: before we wrap up the show. So can you let me know what does community care mean to you?
1: Ooh, community care to me means looking out for one another, being there for one another, and anticipating each other's needs.
0: Oh, I love that. Ooh, nice and succinct. Okay, I'm here waiting, y'all, like, she's about to give
1: me more. (laughs) I love it.
0: (laughs) Thank you so, so much, Dr. Joy. Please let us know where we can find you, how we can stay in touch with you, and most importantly, where can people buy your book?
1: Yeah. So you can grab your copy of the book at sisterhoodheals.com. You can find me at Hello Dr. Joy across all the social media platforms. And my website is Hello Dr. Joy. And if you want to hear more conversations about therapy and mental health, you can check out our weekly podcast at therapyforblackgirls.com.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Joy.
1: Thank you, Mina. It was excellent.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this conversation informative, please share today's episode with your friends and on your social media accounts. And of course, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the Very Well Mind podcast as we explore the power of community.